0: Well, good morning. Good morning, church. I want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Last week, uh, we had folks joining us online from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Pacific Ocean. So uh, in-person church, would you welcome our online church with, uh, with applause? Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you also for all the work that you did this weekend. Pastor Joe said to me that we gathered about 163 boxes of food to support Mount Air Christian Church uh, and their ministry to those uh, in the city who are many who are homeless or uh, below the poverty level. So we're grateful to be able to partner with them. We thank them uh, for their leadership in this community, for their visionary work, and uh, for all that they do for those uh, in need during this time. I also want to uh, just continue to uh, uh, lift up a, uh, not only our town hall meeting on November 2nd uh, as we uh, look toward uh, our partnership with Communio and uh, the work that we look forward to doing by God's grace in our in our neighborhoods and our, our neighborhoods that surround us and our community that surround us, particularly if you're... Um, uh, working with small groups or sisterhood or brotherhood or hospitality or security or any of our teams I really encourage you to be here as well as the whole church and those of you who are online will have the ability for you to join us as well And we want you to be as much a part of the life and work here uh, at South Sub Church as anyone who is here today We're finishing up our series. This is the last uh, Sunday I, uh, sorry I wasn't with you last week, Shauna. my wife and I, were celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary. <laughs> I know you're applauding her, not me. And uh, so uh, I, she, my favorite story that she shares that I didn't ask her permission was the day that we got married. She was in the back fellowship hall of the church. And from that church, you could see right down through the fellowship hall, down this long hallway, down the aisle of the church, all the way. Uh, to the front chancel, the front altar, the the, the platform, and she took a deep breath and she said, I can do this if you're with me, Lord. And I think she was talking more about you guys than she was me, because uh, in many ways uh, she has uh, married the church as well and the work that the church does, and I'm grateful to have her as a partner in ministry and a partner in life, and uh, I'm especially grateful that she has handled most of the evening feedings as well with the children, so We are in week seven uh, and we are finishing up. As I said, uh, I I wanted to thank Pastor Joe for last week's message. If I had known he was going to preach that message, which was awesome, I would have had him in this series because he did a phenomenal job at lifting up the gospel, and I'm grateful for that word. Go ahead. You know, they teach those of us who preach that there's always two parts of every sermon, every ministry. There's law and there's gospel. You got gospel last week, a lot of gospel, which means you're going to get some law this week. Now, hopefully, we would normally like to switch those. We always want to do the law first and then end with the gospel. But I think that this message from Jeremiah is a message of relevance and hope. So if you have your Bibles, your tablets, or however you read God's Word, we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 29. Everybody that has been in the church any length of time knows Jeremiah 29. You probably are more familiar with verse 11, but we're going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to jump around just a little bit, beginning in verse 1, then to verse 4. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We'll we'll, we'll clear this all up in just a minute. Just hang with me. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Okay, and then look at verse 11, the one you all probably know by heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Years ago, Shauna and I were close to a couple. Uh, They were missionaries in China. And because we were friends and because we supported them individually in our offerings over and above our tithes to the church, we invited them to come and speak to the church that I was serving at the time as they were on furlough in the United States. Well, they came with their usual visual aids. If you've ever been to a missionary uh, uh, speech at a local church, there's certain accoutrements that are always present. They're going to have a table they're going to have lots of photographs and pictures. They're going to have uh, examples of, 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 of traditional dress and traditional foods and, and all the things that, uh, that, that make it interesting to think about what life is in that particular country. And they did that with China. Now, most of you probably know that even though Christianity isn't technically illegal in China, it is definitely governed by the state. You can only worship in state-approved churches. You must register with local governments and use state-approved Bibles. And the Chinese government, in the United States, we believe freedom of religion, and in China, they believe in freedom from religion, which means that no non-believing person should be in any way subjected to anything that might look religious. So that's why the Chinese so uh, oversee the expression of Christianity and all religions in China. As a matter of fact, the Bible that is allowed to be used by Christians in China is written in one of the most difficult dialects that the Chinese have. Um, it, it's probably along the lines of if you started using, oh, let's say the Wycliffe Bible. Now, now that's the English Bible that predates, that was, that was translated before the King James Version. I mean, that's how convoluted that language would be to us. And if you're caught gathering with other Christians in a non-approved setting at a non-approved time using a Bible that's not approved, you can be placed under arrest. And one of the things our missionary friends told us is that the Chinese officials are always roaming the neighborhoods seeking to catch folks in the act. It was a powerful evening as they shared with us their mission, their ministry, the growth and transformation that's occurring in China. And so as the host, as the pastor, one of the pastors, I stood up and I said, hey, thank you very much. Uh, I, is there anything that we here in the land of freedom and the United States could be praying for you? I mean, I mean, things like resources. You know, everybody wants resources. And you know what I mean when I say Resources for Bibles, perhaps, that we could smuggle in for you. Would you like us to pray for the end of persecution of the Christians in China? And as soon as I said that, and I might have shared this with you before, a most horrified look came upon the face of this missionary, and he said, no, no, we do not want you to pray for an end to persecution. Persecution is what is helping Christianity grow in China. As a matter of fact, here's the clincher, Chinese Christians are praying for persecution to come to the church in the West, for we know that that is what will help the faith grow in the United States. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So there you have it. Our brothers and our sisters in China are mourning the fact are grieving the fact that Christianity in the United States is growing cold, commercialized, consumer-driven, and is in need of a season that will prune our tree so that the new branches will grow and produce fruit. Now, I've shared with you before that Jeremiah is one of, if not, the most favorite book I have in the Old Testament. It's a troubling book, filled with confusion, warring voices that all claim to speak for God. If you want to know more about Jeremiah, you can read Jeremiah. You can go to YouTube and search for Jeremiah, the 1998 film. YouTube actually lets you watch the entirety of the film for free. You have to put up with some commercials. But other than that, he's a powerful prophet and one that doesn't often get the attention he deserves. So in order to understand this text here in chapter 29, I'm going to have to take you on a little journey. So pretend that you have just arrived at the History Channel's special on the history of the Jewish people, particularly leading up to Jeremiah. I know some of you are excited and others are saying, you know, I was looking forward to a nap. (laughs) But let me start at the beginning. Let me start at the point that probably most of us are familiar. The Exodus. The Israelites have left the land of Egypt out of bondage, they've wandered in the wilderness, and they finally come to the promised land, which is filled with a group of people called the Philistines, the ancient Philistines. Uh, Actually, uh, many uh, anthropologists believe that they are the ancient uh, folks that we now know today to be the Palestinians. I don't know if that's exactly true, but that's what historians tell us. Finally, the, the Israelites have conquered the land of, Philist, of Philistines, uh, the ancient Palestine, and they are what is called a true theocracy. Now, you might have heard that, new, that, that word in the modern-day news as a bad thing, and, and the way they interpret it, it probably is true, except when they use the word theocracy, they're not using it correctly. That doesn't surprise me. It's the major news cycle. A true theocracy is not where religious people rule a true theocracy is where god rules and israel is a true theocracy god is their king the people still worship at the tabernacle that's the uh the ark of the covenant and the altar and the tent that they built when they were in the wilderness and that tabernacle, this, 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 this tent-like worship center, is kept at a city called Shiloh, which is about 27 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, to put that into context, that's sort of like us uh, having a tabernacle in commerce city from us where we are today. So it's not all that far. They weren't, they, they, they weren't able to conquer the city of Jerusalem yet. That's something that a lot of folks don't realize. So Jerusalem is still held by the indigenous people called the Jebusites. And during this time, they live under judges. Now judges don't rule all the time. Judges just pop up when there's a problem. When there's a national crisis, God raises up a judge. The judge carries them through that crisis. And then the judge goes back to being an average everyday person, farming, shepherding, all the things that you do to make a living. They lived this way for 400 years. This is the book of Judges in your Old Testament. Near the end of this 400-year period, the Hebrews start asking God for a king. whole history behind that. And God acquiesces, and he gives them a king, King Saul. Now, King Saul, he was able to do some good things. He helped bring the 12 different tribes of Israel together, sort of. But in the end, he made the mistake of assuming that he could make the sacrifices before a battle instead of the priest. And because of his disobedience, it cost him his throne, and then God raised up the second king of Israel, King David. Now, it was under the reign of King David that they were finally able to conquer the city of Jerusalem, which is why it's called the City of David. And it's during David's reign that God reminds his people that the original promise given to Abraham which was done over a thousand years before David, that the Messiah would come from the Jewish people and that the purpose of the Messiah would be so that all nations could call God blessed. That is, as the Messiah was not to redeem just the nation of Israel, but that the Messiah was for the whole world. But you know the story about David, how he messes up, how he has an affair, some might say. I would say essentially forced himself upon Bathsheba Had her husband Uriah murdered God sees it sends a prophet to confront him David repents and God preserves the kingdom Not because necessarily David is such a wonderful guy, but because God made a promise that he would bring the Messiah out of that tribe of Judah You see sometimes It's not our righteousness as a matter of fact. I might argue all the time. It's not our righteousness that causes God to be faithful. It's because God is faithful, that God is faithful. Well, eventually David dies, and his son Solomon becomes king, and it's during that reign that the temple is built in Jerusalem. And so now the tabernacle at Shiloh is moved to Jerusalem, and the Ark of the Covenant is placed in the inner room, the sanctum sanctorum, the Holy of Holies. The altar is placed outside, and the temple worship begins. Now, after Solomon's death, and because Solomon's son, Rehoboam, listens to foolish counsel, he raises taxes. If there's any budding politicians in here, may I suggest to you that the promise to raise taxes is not what brings national unity? And it didn't hear either. And the kingdom split. Eleven tribes went to the north, and they retained the name Israel, and they established their capital in Samaria, actually, the town of Tirzah which is only a few miles from Shiloh, incidentally, which was where the tabernacle had been kept. The southern kingdom calls itself Judah because that's the primary tribe where Jerusalem is. It keeps that one tribe of Judah, a smattering of Levites in order to work the temple, and just a few folks from the tribe of Benjamin. Incidentally, it's the tribe of Judah from which the Messiah will come. Now, these two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, live next to each other, sometimes at war, sometimes at peace, working together, sort of, for about 200 years. The northern kingdom, however, becomes guilty of some pretty serious sins. Idolatry, unspeakable sexual sins, and even the sacrifice of children to the pagan god Molech, which was the same sin that the ancient Philistines had done, which is what allowed... Uh, them to be defeated by the Jews during the time of the uh, 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 gathering of the uh, of the promised land and so as the northern kingdom descends into debauchery descends into sin a new nation rises the Assyrians and God allows the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom now when the Assyrians come in they conquer brutally they carry off the men into captivity they force the women to stay and intermarry with other men that they brought from other nations that they had uh uh, uh, conquered and they utterly destroyed the 11 tribes which are lost forever and now 136 years later a new empire the babylonian empire rises to the world stage and it comes knocking on judah's door and jerusalem's door and it's here that we arrive at the ministry of the prophet of jeremiah now, Judah has been found guilty by God for many of the same sins that the northern kingdom was guilty. Idolatry, immorality. But these sins were not the root cause of their being conquered. And if I had a point for you today, this would be the first point. It wasn't their idolatry and their immorality which led them to be conquered. That was merely the effect of what was really going on. In order to understand what the actual issue was that caused Judah's demise, you have to go back just a few kings before Jeremiah is born. Just before, just when he's being born. A king named Manasseh. Manasseh decided that the best way to spread his influence in all of the nations was to erect statues and altars to pagan gods in the temple. Some historians say it was for the cause of diversity. Some say it was to bring together the religious uh, 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 diversity of Israel and help unite a religiously divided Judah. Some say it was an effort to broaden the appeal of Judah to various other nations and religions. Look how forward thinking we are. Some say it was an effort to mainstream other ideologies and an attempt to see that various truths might live together in harmony. An effort to make the city postmodern, if you will where there is no truth, with a capital T, but everyone's truth is held equal, even when those truths, quote-unquote, stand in stark contrast to each other's. Now, scholars debate this, but we do know one thing. We know that during the time of Manasseh, this king, just as Jeremiah is being born, the Scriptures had all been but lost there was no copy that anybody had of the scriptures the priests no longer taught god's word they did not read god's word but married together the pride of the nation or more specifically the king with god's supposed blessings false prophets would parrot back to the king what the king wanted to hear assuring the king that whatever he did, that whatever the nation of Israel did, was okay with God. They placed their trust in generals and armies to keep Judah safe, made agreements with other nations, breaking agreements, making new treaties, positioning themselves politically and militarily to preserve their way of life. Now, soon after this, Jeremiah is born. Manasseh dies, and a new king, King Josiah, begins to reign. And it's during this time, when they're making repairs to the temple, that they discover a copy of God's law. They have found God's word. And they immediately take it to King Josiah. A young boy became king when he was eight years old. And Josiah commands isn't it great when a child understands the significance of something? And the child commands. An eight-year-old commands the priests to read God's Word to the people, to teach God's Word, to preach God's Word. And because this happened, a revival broke out in all of Judah, and Judah was given a reprieve from God's judgment. But the hearts of the people had been dark for too long, and when Josiah is wounded in battle, he succumbs to his injuries back in Jerusalem, and his son Jehoiakim becomes king. And Jehoiakim is a wuss he's weak he only wants to hear good things he doesn't like to get into arguments he doesn't want people to disagree he just can't handle it and so the popular pressure to let the people do what they want to do and still promise them god's blessing is too much of a temptation for jehoiakim and the nation of judah quickly falls back into idolatry and immorality. We want to do what we want to do, and we want to hear that God is okay with whatever we want to do. They desired a grandparent God who spoiled them, gave them what they wanted, and would would protect them from the consequences of their actions. Because isn't that what a good God does? Now let me pause here. Y'all see any similarities yet? And Jeremiah, who incidentally is a priest of the tribe of Levi, finds himself called, compelled by God, to speak truth that judgment now has arrived. This time there will be no reprieve. The piper has to be paid. Punishment is necessary. And Jeremiah throws away Carnegie's book about how to win friends and influence people. And he abandons all efforts to persuade and conjole. He doesn't tell them that the righteousness of a remnant will preserve the nation as a whole. He declares boldly the word of the Lord. And here it is in a nutshell. Babylon's coming, folks. Submit to Babylon. You'll be carried off into captivity, made slaves. But in 70 years, God will deliver you, return you to Israel, and continue with his plan. His plan, by the way, to raise up a messiah who will redeem the world i don't know about you but i got caught on 70 years 70 years this week i I got my annual report from social security administration you know you in your 50s when you open up that email i don't believe i've ever opened up that email before well, it told me all of what I was going to get, and more importantly, what my family would, be get, would get after my demise. And there was a little link in that email that said, uh, to decide whether or not you should take your benefits at age 62 or age 70, click on this, and we will estimate your life expectancy. Well, that was too much to resist. I'm looking at my doctor right now. <laughs> that was too much for me to resist, so I clicked on it, and I filled it out as honest as I could. And do you know what the Social Security Administration said? I'm going to die at age 78. That was sobering. So I went back and I fixed some of the answers that, <laughs> that, that that my doctor's been telling me I need to fix. I need to lose 20 more pounds, exercise twice as much as I do already, and guess what, my life expectancy is going to go up to age 90. I'm going to be negotiating a gym membership when my contract comes up for renewal, by the way, next year here at South Suburban. (laughs) Seventy years. That's a lifetime for many of us. And here's the thing, in the time of Jeremiah, it was basically two lifetimes. How does God want His people to live when they know that their lifetime is going to be one in captivity. What would you say if you found yourself in captivity? And God said, you're going to be in captivity the rest of your life, but here's what I want you to do. Would you be even remotely interested (laughs) in doing what God said? Well, here's what God said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the folks who are your masters. Seek the welfare of your captors and pray to the Lord on its behalf, ask God to bless your enemies. This is my... I'm adding to this so the Lord preserve me. But I want you to get this. For it is in the welfare of the city that you will find your welfare. Ah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now I encourage you, first of all, to pick up either on our YouVersion Bible app the notes to this sermon or uh, on the paper versions that are at the Welcome Center because in that I talk a little bit about what the word welfare means. I'm not going to tell you from the pulpit. You have to do some study on your own this week but that's important now listen church i'm not a prophet some might even say i'm not a very good preacher we'll have to look at how many people stay online and watch us but much like the priests who were charged with preaching by the young king josiah and teaching of god's word here's my summary like jeremiah there are consequences to our having not read and taught god's word for over 50 years That's how long I've lived so far, 52. In my lifetime, looking back on it, I have seen how we as the church have baptized our culture's obsession with consumerism, sensuality, y'all know what I'm talking about, judging value on how much money it can make us or how attractive we are to others. And here was the problem with Jeremiah. He was destined, it was revealed to Jeremiah, that he would fail in calling a city, a nation, to repent. That did not believe or could not know that it needed to repent. And that is one of the things that really frustrates me. Because I would dare say that most in our culture today, don't even know the destructive nature of their life and the worst disease is the is the disease you don't know about or you refuse to accept and it's really no different today our culture our church refuses to read God's Word honestly we reject it believing that it is those who would follow an antiquated dead religion like Christianity as the ones who need to change A culture, I dare say, a church that cannot smell its own rot, see its own sickness, know its own need for redemption, believing it has earned God's favor, unable to recognize the Christ figure in Jeremiah. When you read the Old Testament, you've got to look for Jesus. Jeremiah sends this letter after they've been carried off into exile. And he tells them, this is what I want you to do. You might be interested to know what happens to Jeremiah afterwards. God tells him to go to the south, so he, he, he flees and goes to Egypt, where he runs into a bunch of folks from Jerusalem who recognize him. And we get this not from the Bible, but from church history, from the writings of the rabbis. They recognize him, and they blame the messenger and kill Jeremiah because it was his fault Jerusalem fell real easy to turn the attention isn't it you're the one that brought me the news of my disobedience so you're the one that's going to have to die that is what happened with jesus the only difference is is that jesus accepted it willingly an innocent man who spoke of our need for repentance who called us by uh, faith By grace through faith, whose message was rejected, who was put to death because of the people's wrath. But God says, even in the midst of your rebellion, even in the midst of your refusal. To see your need for healing. Guess what? I know the plans that I have for you, God says. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. And brothers and sisters, we're no different today than fellow human beings were thousands of years ago. Finding ourselves in our own captivities. Facing our own unknown future in the midst of this pandemic and a world that is radically changed. But here's what we do know the Messiah has come. The promises that God was talking about in Jeremiah have come to pass. Jesus has come and he is here. He is here. And we, maybe not in the same way as the Judahites in, in, in Babylon, but we too will seek the welfare of the city. We will pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare we will find our welfare. Right here, stuck in the suburbs, in God's will. Could we ask for anything more? God is ready and has already been at work right here through you through us for god's glory